for you to actually do anything about the inequities that exist in Canada, you must be able to see race, because if you do not see it, if you don't recognize it, you won't be able to do anything about it. And that's one of the issues with the, about equity. Hello, and welcome to another episode on the Unfiltered Real Talk podcast. We hope you're inspired by today's episode. If you have not subscribed, find us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, TuneIn Radio, and all major listening platforms. You can also listen on YouTube. We love to hear from you. So follow us on Instagram, Facebook, or Twitter at Unfiltered Real Talk Podcast and leave your comments and feedback. Don't forget to share the podcast with your friends and family. This is your host, EJ. Thank you for listening. In today's episode, my guest and I are discussing the impact of racism on immigrant health. My guest is Dr. Bukola Salami, an associate professor at the Faculty of Nursing in the University of Alberta. She's a leading researcher and teacher in this area. She's a recipient of a number of awards and distinction. She is the lead investigator for the Health and Immigration Policies and Practices Research Program. Dr. Bukola, thank you so much for being here today. Welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. To get started, please tell us a little bit about your background, how long you've been a professor, and your passion behind today's topic on racism and immigrant health. Thank you. I'm, I'm currently an associate professor at the Job Alberta. I began this position in January 2014. I received my bachelor's um, from, of nursing from the University of Windsor. Uh, my master's and PhD in nursing was from the University of Toronto. Um, and um, I was a registered nurse at the Hospital for Sick Children from 2004 to 2009 and an interprofessional educator teaching immigrants health and cultural safety um, from 2009 to 2011. My current research focuses on policies and practices shaping migrants' health. I've been involved in around 50 funded research projects um, over the last six years and I've led 20 of these projects with funding from national and international agencies. I've led projects on African immigrant child health, immigrant mental health, access to healthcare for immigrants, African immigrant youth mental health, migration of nurses as living caregivers, experience of um, temporary foreign workers, downward occupational mobility of nurses, and parenting practices of nursing. I founded and I lead an African child and migration Research Network, which is a network of 30 scholars across the globe focused on African child migration. I also recently created a mentorship program for Black high school students. We have about um, 35 students in the mentorship program. Um, and um, I have also received several awards for research excellence, including um, the Sigma Theta Tau International um, Nurse Research Hall of Fame, which is the highest award for nursing research um, um, internationally, and also the Karna um, Excellence Award, um, Alberta Top 40 or the 40. Thank you so much for that very elaborate and detailed resume. Thank you so much for that. You are the right person to be speaking to on this topic, uh, obviously, and that's why we have you today on the podcast. And welcome, and thank you so much for giving us your time. I want to start out by discussing systemic racism in Canadian health. 
are there health disparities between Canadian or native-born residents versus immigrants? And just for a lay person, if you can just break down what that would mean to experience racial inequalities within the context of the Canadian healthcare system. I would say um, no, there are disparities, especially ethnic disparities um, among um, you know, Canadians um, in Canada, even beyond the issue about immigration and non-immigrants. Um, so for example, we know people from historical black communities experience poor um, health and they are not immigrants. We also know that um, an example of racial disparity is um, the case of COVID-19 where we know that black populations, um, data is suggesting that black population have a higher rate of COVID-19. Emerging data from Toronto, Montreal, and Northwest suggest that neighborhoods that are predominantly black have a higher prevalence of COVID-19 infection. And an analysis of Montreal data um, indicate that the influence of, um, among 24 social determinants of health, that the most strongest contribution to um, COVID-19 infection is whether or not you're Black. And this influence is stronger than whether or not you're poor. In the past, we've always thought that um, income was a stronger social determinant of health. But um, the data from COVID-19 in both Montreal and Toronto is suggesting that being living in a Black neighborhood influences your health more than whether or not you're a poor person which That's is actually very a very strong finding. Absolutely. Um, and shows the strong influence of um, race on um, health outcomes of um, different um, population, especially black population. We also know, for example, that black people have a higher rate of HIV infection. Um, and there are several other determinants, including mental health, poor mental health among um, black populations in Canada. And what I also find quite interesting is uh, going back to immigrant health, I know you pointed out that this is experienced by Black people, period. So it's not just about immigrants, but going back to immigrants, I know that immigrants have to do all these elaborate tests before they immigrate to Canada. So they are obviously in good health when they come here. So where does the disconnect happen? Where the, the decline happen when they get here? healthy and then after a while they're not as healthy as when they arrived here. So we know that immigrants arrive in Canada better than Canadian born population and the, this is known as the LD immigrant effect. And as you said, the central um, reason for this is pre-migration selection factors that focus on accepting LD immigrants. You have to do a health check. If you have a health problem, you won't be able to come into Canada. If you are an immigrant, if you're a refugee, you can come to Canada with any health problems. So the case okay. of refugees are different, but I'm focusing now on the case of those that migrate as immigrant, not refugees to Canada. And under the Immigration and Protection and Refugee Protection Act, an immigrant is deemed inadmissible, a potential immigrant is deemed inadmissible to Canada if they have a health condition that will cost the healthcare system. However, we know that their health declines usually after a period of five to 10 years in Canada. Some, some of the factors contributing to this um, include um, the role of social determinants of health, including poor income, adoption of new lifestyle in Canada, barriers to accessing health services, and also discrimination. For example, we know that immigrants earn less than non-immigrants in Canada, 
They face challenges getting a job in their field, and this contributes to their health status. And as I said, income is a strong determinant of health. Access to health care may be limited by language proficiency, the bureaucracy and complexity of the system, isolation, the lack of cultural safety um, within the healthcare system, issues related to discrimination, complex health insurance um, rules, and also limited income and drug coverage um, you know, for immigrants. For Black women and children, um, they experience a rate of discrimination, especially anti-Black racism that may further impact um, their um, health. Women experience the triple jeopardy of the influence of gender on their outcomes. So for example, we know that when a man and a woman come here, it's more likely that the woman, man will start working while the woman may have to also juggle childcare, which then slows down her career. Also the influence of race and discrimination and the influence of low income and this all contributes to health. And Dr. Bukala, can you just provide us with a bit more examples on how racism plays this direct impact on the quality of health of immigrants and how it begins to decline? I know you've touched a little bit on uh, the nature of getting, seeking and finding work, right? And uh, family, what other examples, and this could include either race discrimination or even systemic racism, can our that can help our listeners to understand really how systemic racism, racism and discrimination actually impact directly the health of immigrants. And okay. maybe that even includes black people in general, regardless yeah. of whether you're an immigrant. So racism impacts health in many ways. And I'll talk specifically about anti-black racism, which has okay. a negative impact on black people's health. And to define anti-black racism, um, it's policies and practices rooted in Canadian institutions, such as the education, healthcare, and justice that mirror and reinforce beliefs, attitudes, prejudice, stereotyping, and discrimination towards people um, of um, African descent or Black people. And that definition is uh, from the Canadian Race Relations Foundation. Okay. It often results in systems of inequities in power, in opportunities, in distribution, um, in um, resources that discriminate against Black people. So some of the um, issues with anti-Black racism includes everyday experience of microaggression, being undertreated within the healthcare system, facing barriers in terms of lack of representation of Black people. Okay, just healthcare. give me, um, sorry to interrupt, if you can just explain what that means, microaggression. How so does one experience that? Are, you know, just everyday indignities that Black people face in Canada. So, for example, you know, you know, you're going to, I remember I was doing an interview and, um, you know, the person had a problem conveying, um, you know, information to me, but then, you know, she turns it around to say, oh, you know, are you having a problem understanding English? Wow. Like, you know, a form of microaggression. Or, you know, you know, you're a healthcare professional and you got your degree in Canada and someone asks you and someone challenges your knowledge um, mm -hmm. or asks you, for example, you know, is your hair real? You know, ah, and things yes. like that. Those are some of the examples. We know that anti-Black racism has an influence on mental health. Uh, people who perceive that people have been racist against them are for a mental health. We also know that your blood pressure is likely to be 
higher if you've experienced racism. Wow. There are also issues. So, for example, there has been reports. I believe there was a report maybe in 80s or 90s in Toronto of a child dying of sickle cell disease because of lack of attention mm. given to the fact that, you know, they complained about pain, but healthcare professionals just assumed that it's because they are, they are drug addicts. But their complaint of pain is actually because of sickle cell and that they need pain medication. Those are all based on perceptions and stereotypes of black people and racism experiences. So not being given proper treatment within their hospital because of your race. And all this has an influence on um, health status in addition to issues related to mental health and cardiovascular health that I've talked about. Mm -hmm. These are really elaborate examples and quite detailed to help us understand what we mean when we talk about the impacts of racism on health. I want to also move into what you think, given the examples that you've provided, what are some urgent things that we need to do to address racism in healthcare system in Canada? What are the gaps in policy and how can it be addressed? There are several gaps. One way is okay. um, we do not collect race-based data in healthcare. And we need to start collecting race-based data in healthcare. I think COVID-19 is one of the first times we've collected race-based data. Some provinces and not all provinces yet are collecting that data. So for us to actually know and be able to attend to population health, we need to know what factors contribute to health, who is more likely to be affected by poor health, and also so that we can develop interventions. The other thing is that we need to understand the impact of social determinants of health, including income. That income is an important social determinant of health. And one factor that contributes to income is lack of credential assessment and recognition within Canada. You know, is it possible for us to develop stronger um, policies related to ensuring that immigrants are able to actually um, get a job with their credentials once they come into Canada? There's also the ensuring the diversity of the workforce, especially the healthcare workforce that would help in terms of addressing health. Because we know, for example, some of the data from the UK suggests that if a black child receives care from a black doctor, they are more likely to have better health than if they receive care from a white doctor. One of the you know, strong influences of you know, race. So we need a diverse healthcare workforce. We also need to um, attend to the competence, training, and standards of practice of professional regulatory bodies. I looked at um, you no know, standards of practice of regulatory bodies that really demonstrates every, that healthcare professionals have to demonstrate to ensure to say that they are competent. And a lot of times, those standards do not include competence on anti-racism. Sometimes it will include culture, but culture is a different thing from racism. Um, and we need to ensure. And help us understand that, uh, Dr. Salami, the difference between culture and race or culture and racism, as you put it. I would say this. The Public Health Agency of Canada before used to have culture as the social determinant of health okay. and not race as a okay. social determinant of health is that you tend to blame the other. So you say, oh, you know, the fact that you're in poor health is because, oh, you have a bad culture that, you know, we have to deal with or you have a bad culture that, mm. uh, you know, that is not amendable to the Canadian system, right? That we have to attend to. The opposite turn of looking at race is 
you know, the fact that you're in poor health is not just because of your culture, but it's also because of the racist institutions and systemic injustices that you faced that contribute to your health, such as you know, discrimination that you faced in terms of looking for a job and also discrimination that you face within the system. It shifts the blame. A focus on culture shifts the blame. Um, a focus on culture often, you know, the blame is on the, on the patient. Um, a focus on racism shifts the blame to the healthcare professionals as needing to actually make the change to be able to address the health status within the population. So that's uh, my thoughts about that. I, I think we also have to capitalize on the agency of Black people. When you look at a lot of uh, news reports about Black people, they're often seen as they are very weak. Um, they don't have any strengths. You know, it's all, all bad, bad, bad. And we need to actually look at what are the strengths of Black people. So, you know, for example, Nigerian population. We know that Nigerians, um, especially Nigerian women, have one of the highest educational rates in Canada. But at the same time, they have a poor rate of employment in Canada. So we can't just talk about Nigerian women are not working. We also have to look at the fact that Nigerian women are highly educated. It's a strength that they have that we can build on and we can capitalize on. So it's actually the system that is against Nigerian women and not just Nigerian women, West African women in general have one of the highest education in Canada, Cameroon. Well, Cameroon is in South um, Central Africa. But you know, going from Cameroon and going west to you know, Ivory Coast, Senegal, high rate of um, um, education. And also capitalize on some of you know, the you know, community leaders and mobilize community leaders and engage community leaders and religious leaders. Thank you very much. This, um, I think, provides clear direction on what policymakers can do to leverage these resources and these institutions that you've mentioned to bridge that gap between um, races, to close that gap that, that uh, immigrants and Black people are facing with regard to accessing quality health care. What I also want to discuss now is some of the strategies that policy measures can utilize to improve these outcomes. What would you say are your top three or four quick wins for policymakers? I think my top three is collect the data. Collect, collect the data. Collect the yeah. data. And also integrate anti-racism as the standards of practice for all healthcare professionals. And also address income as a vital social determinant of health by you know, and, and implementing policies that will ensure credential assessment and recognition in Canada. Standards of practice focused on racism mm -hmm. and social determinants of health. Absolutely. I think a big one for me would be that you know, we have to mobilize the data. We have to collect the data and make use of it. Because if we're not collecting the data, then how do we understand that there's even a problem? I absolutely agree with you. What do we say to those policymakers or those leaders or those people, period, in general, who say that they don't see color, right? There's okay. no, there's no race, there's no actual systemic air quotes, systemic racism. I see everybody as the same. Um, I'm colorblind and we treat everyone fair and square, regardless of the color of your skin. How do we approach these kinds of leaders or policymakers? Oh, Someone has told me that, um, and you know, I had a, I had a, what do you call it? Um, 
I interviewed um, one of the youths about mental health and what one of them said is, um, you know, you don't see color, then do you see me? <laughs> if you don't see color. <laughs> yes. But um, you know, one of the things I say to people is, um, for example, if someone with diabetes come to your, um, to your clinic, you can say, I don't, I don't see diabetes, I don't see blood sugar. And um, you can give the person with diabetes orange juice um, and someone with, um, you know, that is completely healthy, you can give the person two orange juice. You don't see it, so you don't do anything about it. Mm, that's right. If you, for you to actually do anything about the inequities that exist in Canada, that data shows, you must be able to see race because if you do not see it, if you don't recognize it, you won't be able to do anything about it. And that's one of the issues with the, about equity. I mean, the other thing that you can think about is, you know, two people come to your, you know, you're a pharmacist, two people come to your, to your um, clinic and you say, I don't see income. I don't see, I don't see your, um, what you call it? I don't see, you know, that means you give everybody, you know, medication. If you don't see, you, you won't be able to do anything to be able to solve the issues that they face. Thank you. So this is uh, the end of our recording today. Any final words, any closing remarks that you would like to present no, on our conversation today? thank you for today? inviting me to, to talk about you know, issues related to race and um, racism and healthcare. And um, it's my pleasure to think through and to talk about you know, some of the issues and how to actually improve um, immigrant health in Canada. Yes, thank you so much, Dr. Salami, for being on the podcast today. Thank you. Hey guys, thank you for sticking around to the end of the podcast. If you enjoyed today's episode, don't forget to rate the podcast and send us your comments and feedback. I'll see you in the next episode.